world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. You all ever see Dirty Dancing? No. Wait, which one? Which one? Yeah, they did a remake. What? Gross. Why would you do that? Exactly. Here's the thing. The first one, which is the one that I've seen, surprisingly not that bad. Yeah. Like, I was surprised at how much empathy it had for its characters. That was the piece that I kept coming back to. It's like, you actually care about these weirdos. How old is Patrick Swayze supposed to be? Uh, And how old is Jennifer Grey, or Baby, supposed to be? I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. (laughs) (laughs) But nobody puts Uh, Baby in the corner. That's that's the worst line. That line is so bad. It's it's nice to know that they survived Red Dawn to go on to dance together, you know? Because, boy, that looked bleak there for a little while out there in the woods. I didn't realize they were both in Red Dawn. They were both in Red Dawn. That's the joke, yeah. Stephen. I didn't know that. Good I'm gracious. Dis- I'm, I'm expressing surprise at this bit of trivia that I didn't know, you jerk. <laughs> you, you, but... <sighs> this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. My name is Stephen, and I'm here with Aldo and some butthead. <laughs> butthead. We're here to talk about some stupid comic that somebody recommended. Who was he? I don't remember, but he was probably mean. <laughs> Hello, this is some butthead. <laughs> Probably mean. Calling to you live, you jerks, from <laughs> the mutant island of Genosha. If we are going to talk about who's who's the meanest person, you are for making us read this. And the other X-Men books. <laughs> there is no comparing the, the slight annoyance reading this book to the absolute disgust and, and horror at reading any of those Marvel Zombies books. There's no comparing. This is diving in on chapter 83 of a thousand chapter uh, soap opera. Marvel Zombies was like wading up to your neck in, in cow crap. Okay, let's, Yeah, but that, let's... Was, that was a mutual decision. We were all... We were all for it. Yeah, we, we were we all like... We peaky sword and we zomb- all jumped into the yeah, big zombies, pile of turds. Halloween, let's do it. We, That was a group decision. I like cable. Shut up. I don't... I cut my cable. I only stream. <sighs> I, I really think that Executioner's song is, if you think about it, the dirty dancing of X-Men crossovers. It's really not. It is... I, Okay, you need to give me three three reasons why, and and they need to be good, and they need to not say "baby in a corner," or they all have all three have to say "baby in a corner" somehow. <laughs> nobody nobody puts Archangel in the corner. Nobody puts Apocalypse in a corner. I'm actually pretty sure Apocalypse wound up in a corner. Absolutely, he did. Anyway, John, you want to summarize this for us? No. <laughs> I actually before I wanted to make sure that all of us had on a vest. And we had at least a thousand pockets on it. Um, yeah, so I got the dress I, code. Stephen and I, per the dress code, um, checked. Now, Aldo, do you have your vest with a thousand pockets? My vest has six pockets, sir. Oh, oh boy. How big is your gun? How big is your gun? This is sir, not this a is a family question. podcast. <laughs> Executioner's song is a no, X Men. It's Executioner. Executioner's song is a 
X-Men event from 1992, spanning into 1993. And I want to say I'm sorry. I'm not that sorry, but I'm a little sorry. Um, Basically, if you don't know about all the X-Men teams, you get a little bit of them. And hold on and let, hope that you, you know, can follow along with all of the craziness and who's on what team and who's getting along with who. We start off in Central Park. Um, mutant pop star Leela Cheney is doing a concert and has uh, Charles Xavier, Professor X, on stage. And um, out of nowhere, there are people who are uh, under the stage trying to plan stuff and they get killed by a guy with a gun. You're like, what, what? It's Cable and Cable shoots Professor X. And it doesn't kill him, but it does infect him with a techno-organic virus similar to what is on half of uh, Cable's body. Cyclops and Jean are at the local pub hangout for the X-Men in town um, and are attacked by the Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And they are kidnapped uh, by what first seems to be Apocalypse, but it turns out, nope, it was Mr. Sinister. And um, Mr. Sinister made a deal. Uh, He wanted... Summer's family DNA. Uh, Sinister's whole thing is he's trying to create like the perfect mutant, and he believes that it will it'll come from the Summer's line, and he's trying to you know perfect that. Why he gave up Scott and Jean when he could have like plucked some hairs, I don't know. <laughs> Xavier's at the hospital, and anytime we see Xavier until the very very end, it's Moyer Mc, Moyer McTaggart on FaceTime with Beast going, oh boy, I don't know about this. And the Beast is like, I've been up for 48 hours, I don't know. And they're trying their best to get him. Because of Cable's association with X-Force, that's been his team as of late, um, the X-Men go after X-Force. Um, X-Force is kind of a more like Black Ops team with the X-Men. They were not involved. X-Factor, which is a another mutant team that is uh, kind of government sponsored um, they also are going after X-Force they all are fighting and it comes down they, then they realize what's going on Ugh, this is all this is like all convoluted I'm trying to like I read all this and like read it as a kid or at least part of it as a kid and still need to look at the Wikipedia to be like what's going on basically what happens is Cable comes back and realizes, oh crap, I apparently shot Xavier, but that wasn't me. Bishop and Wolverine catch up to Cable um, while the other teams are fighting. Turns out, Cable says, this was Strife. Strife is a clone of me. And Wolverine keeps saying, or maybe you're a clone of him. Because he's still kind of, he doesn't like Cable at all. And come to find out, uh, Scott and Jean have been kidnapped by Strife, who is really pissed at them for some reason, and treating them... It never really comes out and says, like, his whole story in this story. <laughs> this travesty, this this uh, issue-hopping mess. He thinks that he was abandoned by Scott and Jean. He thinks that they are his parents, and they, they ditched him in the future to have this hard life like Cable did. Um, he was also meant to be a new body for Apocalypse, and then Apocalypse found out Strife was a clone and not worthy and ditched him. So he, you know, was, you know, a turd from the beginning, a real jerk about it. And that, and that's, none of that is in this Executioner song, which was sold as, hey, you're going to find out about, you're going to find out about Cable's history, and you don't really get that except, oh, there's an evil me out there. Strife attacks Apocalypse, almost kills him. Um, Apocalypse comes to the X-Men. They team up so that Apocalypse can... Apocalypse offers to save 
Xavier if they help him get rid of Strife. Wolverine getting into the Wolverine and Jean Grey and Scott Summers love triangle. Yeah. While they're in, while Cable and Bishop and Wolverine are all together on uh, Cable's spaceship, Wolverine realizes, oh, Jean's out here. They've got to be on the moon because she's able to call out psychically and he's in space and close enough to hear. And he says, well, maybe because we have a special relationship. And everybody's like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean, Wolverine? And he doesn't elaborate. And so they get together. They go to the moon. Mr. Sinister finds out he's been duped. Turns out the canister that he traded the Summers for was has the legacy virus, which is something that affects mutants and takes away their powers, but that comes up later. There's an epilogue <laughs> where everyone kind of... Archangel and Beast rebuild the bar that Jean Grey um, and Cyclops were attacked in and it got destroyed, and Rogue and Gambit hang out and, you know, flirt. Jubilee spends some time with Professor X, who's able to walk for a little bit as he's recovering. They Oh yeah, they fight, they defeat Strife. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, if this is not apparent, there's a big fight on the moon that gets wrapped up really quickly when Cable seemingly sacrifices himself. This I don't know if this is his first time dying in the comics where he didn't really die. I haven't read up to see how they... Oh, he didn't really die because neither one of them really died because we see them later on. It's fighting the same fight. We already read um, X-Men Messiah War where literally all of these guys come back and it's the same kind of fight. Like, Sinister's a jerk... Apocalypse is a jerk Cable and Strife don't like each other And Strife's a jerk And uh, they're still fighting the same fight So, Executioner's Song I thought would be a good like Build up to a really cool fight Between Cable and Strife And Strife is not affected by The techno-organic virus That Cable has to use Most of his psychic powers to keep at bay Um, He'd be really powerful Using uh, telekinesis and telepathy But he has to use his telekinesis Just to fight the virus So he's a bit hampered by that But he does have a big old gun Everywhere he goes And he has technology that helps him Teleport a lot but uh, instead, it was a quick fight on the moon. He sacrificed himself to take out Strife. Uh, we all left feeling empty and unfulfilled. This was a cheap grocery store donut of a story when I thought we were getting like a good Krispy Kreme. So I'm a little sorry, but there was good stuff in here. I should mention the creative team. Good luck. Because <laughs> I took screenshots of all of the um, title pages. I think this ha- this is everybody. Scott Lobdell, Fabian Nicieza. I always put an N in there, a second N in there. Nicieza and Peter David. Pencilers were Brandon Peterson, Andy Kubert, Jay Lee, and Greg Capullo. Two of my favorite issues of all of this. Inkers were Terry Austin, Mark Pennington, Al Milgram, and Harry Candelario. Um, colorist Mike Thomas, Marie Javens, Glennis Oliver, Joe Rosas, Steve Bucoletto. And I'm sure I pronounced most of those wrong, but I'm never going to meet them, so I apologize, but you're not going to hear this, so. <laughs> I'm a little bummed because I really like Cable, and I felt like it didn't pay off, and if we had a better ending to it that wasn't a quick resolution, it would have been alright. I can deal with the hopping around with all of these different teams full of, you know, odd X-Men, odd mutants and stuff, but... The story didn't pay off for me, and so it was kind of a bummer. The art and writing was very much of its age. Um, I have a rant about Strong Guy that can wait, but uh, what did you guys think? Uh, I have a I have a list of things that I enjoyed in this book. Uh-oh. Uh, it's not a long list. There it is. 
But it's I think it's a good list. Object. Uh, the, I guess these are in reverse order. Jubilee telling Doc, uh, Charles Xavier that he's uh, she, that she kind of thought he was a butt wagon. <laughs> yep. Like I thought you were uh, like a tool, but hey, you're actually kind of human, I guess. You were right the first time, Jubes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also have Cable says he's going to work on a thing. We see Wolverine and Bishop playing cards and drinking. Is Wolf is Cable's thing playing with a knife? Oh my gosh. That that is a he question carves... but also a comment. <laughs> Here's the, I remember that bit. He carves a statue of Domino. Oh, is that what is it was? Okay, I didn't pay attention. I didn't pay attention. That That's what it attention. was. I just I just thought it was funny cuz I... he he tells them he can get get them to the moon. And I like this line. <laughs> he's like he's like how long would that take you? He's like 20 25 minutes. And Wolverine and Bishop are like what if we help you? An hour, hour and a half. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> like, seriously, that was genuinely one of the best parts of the book. That's not even me being facetious or, like, damning with faint praise or anything. I genuinely laughed. Yeah. Where's the statue of Domino? I don't remember him, like, I'm trying to find that issue. Because that seems like a ridiculous thing that I should have noticed. Uh-huh. Same. Here, let me pull the page up. Although, keep going. I said I like how <laughs> I like how anytime Jay Lee draws uh, Bishop, it looks like the cover to a rap album. <laughs> oh my gosh now i gotta go back and find yeah. a jay lee uh, book it's uh, i think they're the x-force i want to say they're the x-force ones yeah uh, or x- hold on uh, x-factor x-factor and then <laughs> i also i also wrote oh oh Cyclops, <laughs> cyclops fantasizing about psylocke i hope she doesn't show up two issues later Oh look, it's Psylocke. <laughs> yep. And then also, uh, I wrote uh, "Wholesome Storm" and "Gambit Waltzing in the Park." That was, was nice. Weird wasn't it? to me. <laughs> it was weird to me how much I liked Gambit in this series. Well, he yep. doesn't have a lot of time to be, you know, Gambit. Yeah, he's not obnoxious most of the time. Um, I was gonna say woman. I like I I works. yeah. I just yeah. was surprised he he wound up being a this nice character. Needs more storm. We always could use more storm. Um, okay, I'm, so uh, it was X Factor number eighty six. Okay, page twenty. Oh, I was in that issue and need to just go a little further. Yeah. So uh, now this one, this one he uses like strong silhouettes in here. I liked this at the same time as like some of them. The like odd anatomy was weird. So okay, so no, I'm not. I'm not gonna like, and I know it comes off like I'm about to argue with you. I'm not, because um, yeah, like like some of the anatomy is weird, but like he he does a lot of interesting work. That oh my gosh, that is Domino. <laughs> it's adorable. I just right? got there. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I skipped right to. I'm bored. Let's go. Yes, let's go. We're gone. <laughs> like I skipped right that because it was funny that they were like, of course they're gonna go to the moon without us, you know. So. Jay Lee kind of stands out. I, I know mostly like modern Jay Lee art, which is really, right. really interesting, really exaggerated, really great like contrasts and silhouettes, really exaggerated um, anatomy. Just fantastic, unmistakable work, I think. I think Jay Lee really stands out in the comic book artist world. I had never even thought of looking at his. Like 90s resume or, or pre 90s or I think what is this 80s? 
This was this the is 90s. This 90s. Okay. I had the trading cards. Okay? This, this is, is one the of those pre- This is the peak trading card time, isn't it? Kind of? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So so kind of seeing Jay Lee's art, I I didn't pay attention to the to to the creative team initially. But when I was seeing some of the character, I guess like models, I guess uh, the character anatomy in his book, I was like, "This looks, this feels familiar." I was like, "Who is drawing these?" And it was Jay Lee, and I was like, "Oh, this this is surprising. This is like such a such a weird mix of like you know, kind of early Jim Lee plus Jay Lee's like initial art style." So so that was like really interesting to see like his art back then, and there is some really strong character poses really strong expressions you know the silhouette work is fantastic i think a couple of my favorite things from his book and also on the issue we're on which is like eight issue 86 there's some really good like negative space work that he does like on storm's page. hair yeah storm's hair uh page nine was one of those well not that example but um I think it's at the beginning of the of the issue right yeah then i think on the earlier issue that he that uh Jay Lee had drawn uh, the the one prior to this, which would have been eighty five, because I can do math. But in eighty five, hold on, I'm gonna go ahead and find the page since I'm. Oh, there's I, I can't find it, but there's just like a good, really good like uh, panel of Wolverine and Bishop just ready ready to kick butt. Uh, but it's kind of like strongly silhouetted. You can like really only see their teeth. Yeah, there's like oh Bishop yeah, it's, has it's the second page than Wolverine does. Yeah, it's that second page. It's so this is fascinating because I was sure you guys were going to say you didn't like the Jay Lee art. I no, I it, love the Jay Lee art. Yeah, it's you know, I my my favorite was Greg Capullo. Um, I don't think any of the art is bad. I think that it was like how you did comics at the time, and some of it still is good to me without being like, oh, this feels dated. Um, I, I did not, you know, go through and look at every female character's pose. You know, to see if it passes the Hawkeye test, because I know it'll fail. So there's there's that, but that's you know an ongoing problem in uh, comics, of course. Especially with Psylocke in this. Especially with Psylocke. Psylocke's the one that stood out to me. Yeah. Oh, I also sorry, I forgot to mention one of these. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to find the the issue, but it's the one where Cable, like real Cable, comes back. We have like shots of him. I can't. I can't tell if he's putting on or taking off the belts. But I thought there was something kind of hysterical about seeing the belt guy equipping himself with the belts and the guns. And like the next couple panels that we see him, he just looks like like stocky because he's just. There's so... one where he's like as wide as he is tall. Almost. Yes, it's ridiculous. <laughs> where he's like, he's like, I'm going to go beat up Strife, and he looks ridiculous. Yes, Cable more more like more like. Cubal. More like broadband. <laughs> That's the joke. Get it? That's the Cause one. Because he's, he's... That was pretty good. Yeah, please don't try to explain it. It works It works in and of itself. Don't joke explain it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like only, only one person... Oh, yeah, I found, I, found the, I found the picture. It's on X-Force number 16, page 16. <laughs> he's just all decked out. And he's like, he's like, only one person can be responsible for all of it. It's time to take him down once and for all, man to man. <laughs> he's just strapped up to the nines. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. And that doesn't carry through to like 90s. the next time we see him. I owned which one? 
X Force 17. And yeah, like this, you know, remember all these panels really well. This is uh, Greg Capullo. I, I think it's still great. It's, you know, a hard intro when you're like, who the heck are all these characters, you know? Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's some weird groups in here. Wolverine's still smoked. That's how old this comic is. But I think these are, you know, good poses. There's, you know, some of these pages, like when they're, when the professor, like the AI on Cable's ship is going into like Strife's history a little bit. You know, there's the panels where it's, you know, showing all this machinery and stuff like that. It's really cool. You know, just some dudes in space, like smoking and being cool. Like, I don't know what you, I don't know what you, what else you want here. You know, somehow. I don't think Wolverine is too concerned with the effects of smoking. No, you know, that's a good point. It's a good point. I know he does put out his cigar on his own hand in the movie, so that's true. I still think, like, this is my, my, there's a, on page 18 in the app, where, you know, Strife is spying on Gene and, oh, did we talk, we didn't talk about this, Strife um, being like... I'm going to kill you or you have to kill me, Gene and, and uh, Scott. And this baby. And there's a he makes a baby. And he, like, he makes a baby uh, out of the... But t- not like, like the, the way that babies are normally made. This nope. is a robo-baby. Robo, well, you don't know it's a robo-baby for several pages. And then it's like, okay, okay, we're not really going to kill a baby in this X-Men comic. Calm down, everyone. Here's a whole bunch of, like, you know, monstery looking bad guys for them to face. Hey, we're okay. But, like, for a couple of pages there, I was like, yeah, they're good to kill a baby. So, that was pretty messed up. But this is still, even with this stupid Cyclops belt, like, can look at look at Cyclops' belt. He has the, out, you know, the, the Batman utility belt around his outside-the-pants briefs. Um, he has these straps over his thighs. He has this... Uh, not to be confused with his under-the-pants briefs. Across the... Well, I mean, maybe he has them in there. Like, gloves and boots, I can understand. <laughs> he has an over-the-shoulder strap that also goes over the other shoulder, but doesn't come down. It's not overalls. It's like a weird, like, lasso thing over his head. Like, it's 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 weird. Doesn't matter. That's my Cyclops. Any other Cyclops is a derivative of this Cyclops with this, like, really impractical but, like, iconic blue and gold outfit. I love it, but I also have to admit it's pretty stupid. Oh, also, like, a, like another weird detail that they very, uh, briefly in one sentence glanced over. <laughs> when Scott and Jean get kidnapped out of the bar, they're wearing civilian clothes, when they wake up on the moon, they're in their costumes, and they ask yeah. the very adequate question, why are we costumed up? Who stripped them down and dressed them back up to give them to, to Mr. Sinister? And why was that important? Uh, zero. He has a lot of jobs, but he he's discreet. one half of the questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Strife's, Strife's teleporting uh, henchmen or whatever with no face. Also clother, apparently. Yeah. You got to take on all sorts of jobs, you know. You know, it's a hard industry. You have to really, you have to really sell yourself. His valet, valet. That's the technical. It's like, oh, you can teleport, right, right. How are you at picking out evening wear? And he just, he was so stoic. They were like, well, hired. You got, you <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, can we brainstorm the three of us, um, clever individuals, better names for strong guy? It's the stupidest name, and like this is you know a list that includes uh, Power Man and uh, uh, Val Cooper, <laughs> like Marvel comic Dum Dum Dugan. There are a lot of stupid names. Hold up! It's dumb. It is dumb. That's right Why there in the name Why is Val Cooper 
Are you are you highlighting Val Cooper as a bad name? It's a regular name. <laughs> it's like here's our team: yeah. Colossus, uh, Wolverine, Iceman, Archangel, Steve Johnson. <laughs> what can he do? Well, he can shoot fire from his eyes and his fingertips, and he's and he does our accounting. What what? Is that not just the joke from the, the from the second Deadpool movie? I've not seen the second Deadpool movie. Is that that dude? Is there a dude named Pete? Isn't there a guy who's like, I just want to be on the team, and he's a regular yeah. guy? Yeah, his yeah, name's like Pete. Yeah, That's that is that a funny joke. joke. That's not what I was going for. I just think it's ridiculous. And Strong Guy is a stupid name. Like when X Factor gets together and they have a press conference, a kid says, "Oh, is there, there's a strong guy in every team. Is he your strong guy? His power set is interesting. He turns kinetic energy into strength. That's interesting. There, there's so many things he could be like Kineto. He could be." Alkides, which is like the the another name of Hercules. He could be Samson. He could be Strong Bad. He could be Punches McGaffrey. He could be anything <laughs> except Strong Guy. It's stupid. And his real name is Guido. Like like, like it's like uh, Guido's a real name. John, have you seen what that man looks like? He wears like the stupid circle glasses. He has a little he's white nearsighted. ponytail. He's I don't nearsighted. care. He looks dumb. He gets a dumb name. He does look really dumb. He has the dumbest look of anybody. Now, having said that, they consistently put him in a cool silhouette where all you see is his little curly cue of hair and his glasses, and I think that looks okay. But I'm still mad that he's in the scene. That still looks dumb. Yeah. If Strong Guy gets I weirdly to be... liked Strong Guy. <sighs> you I don't know what to tell you, man. You would. It's his personality. He picks the name Strong Guy because he doesn't take himself seriously. He is the comedian because his powers cause him pain. It's the opposite of that. No, it's it's uh, it's Pagliacci. You know, he's 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 joking around because he's hiding the physical pain that he has to go through when he you know absorbs energy and it distorts his body if he holds it too long. He's got to release it within ninety seconds. I read the wiki, man. I'm trying to delve into this character and why he's so stupid. Also uh, confirmed in this book, Guido can get it. Really? Yeah. He's late because they took the he took the headset oh, off. Right. So that- because his wife uh-huh. told him to. Because she right. needed his... No, wait, wait, wait. That wasn't Guido. Wasn't that... that was oh, that was Guido. Guido. That was, it yeah. was Guido. Okay. It's Guido. Wait, was that Guido? That I didn't think Guido. Guido was married. No, I don't think he was married. It was... She just called him Cupcake. Oh, yes. Okay. I Archangel got now. a date. Yeah. Okay, but he couldn't seal the deal. He well, no. ditched his David dates at the first sign. Yeah. Oh, no. Old guy who's probably going to die in 10 years just got shot. Also, also, the guy who trained as child soldiers for his... For his cause, because let's yeah no face Xavier's it. Xavier's bad. Um, Patrick, Patrick Stewart is wonderful. This is nothing against Jean Luc Picard. This is all Xavier being turd. I would not take a bullet for for Charles Xavier. No, but he takes he frequently takes a bullet <laughs> for the X Men. Sometimes just for himself. Bishop shoots him, you know. Later, like we like you know, this is where Bishop and Cable meet for the first time, and it's like, <laughs> did you guys know? Uh, but you know future keeps changing so i guess bishop isn't like mad at cable yet it's really weird how like uh, they were trying to make cable such a big deal and they did it by focusing on how like bad butt he is and i say bad butt purposely because he's like this particular type of hardcore that isn't actually all that intimidating it was it was back in the day but it wasn't it was very posture-y (sighs) um and then they couple that with this weird mystery, like, 
Cable is so mysterious. He might be the son of Cyclops and Jean, but maybe that's Strife, and maybe Strife is the real, and Cable is the clone, and, like, who cares? <sighs> it was, like, I like Cable now. The Cable Hope stuff, I think, is really interesting. Cranky old man, raising a girl, get One it. Wolf it's, and Cub, it's, it's a classic. Right. It's my thing. But, yeah, at this point, Cable, I don't think, is super interesting. Funnily enough, I think the next time we see Cable after this is in Fatal Attractions, which we read. And when he comes back, he tries to be, like, kinder and more, like, supportive of the, the members of his team. Cannonball in particular, who is a character I'm realizing I don't know enough about, because Cannonball, from what I have heard and read, seems like a really interesting character. And his he is. Re- like, relationship with Cable sounds really interesting. But I don't think I've seen that explored in any of the comics that I've read with Cannonball. We did make it through an entire story where Cannonball pops up a lot. And we, he didn't say, I'm nigh invulnerable when I'm blasting, with his you know, written out <laughs> Kentucky accent. It came close. Someone else almost said it for him, but it's it's seriously almost like with great power, like it, it just like he has to say it. Mostly, you notice that next man with like you know the the drama of like the all the characters and like you know Colossus is like sad about his brother and like chatting with Iceman about it in the grocery store aisle. But then like immediately it's like well four horsemen of the apocalypse. Why were we wasting time looking about cornflakes? We need to you know you get. Every time someone's fighting, they have to, like, explain their powers and, like, give some, like, you know, scientific half-jargon about, like, oh, what, you know, how we're going to defeat them with, oh, I can counteract this and I can do this and blah, 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 you know, you have to have that. If you go in knowing all of these things that come with the big X-Men books, then it becomes a little bit better. But I just, I don't care about X-Factor and, like, I just never, it's, there's, like, some people on their team, it's interesting like Rain St. Clair, I, eh, like she's a werewolf, you so know, I, like. So I guess that, uh, I guess you could say that that team doesn't really. F- there we go. Doesn't really factor into your enjoyment of the comics. How many times does Havoc say, <laughs> I'm here to cry Havoc in this story? I only noticed the once. <laughs> he, he did it at least twice. Yeah. He did it at least twice. And the thing is, so I had some X-Factor comics when I was a kid and he did it in one of those too. So, like, was this his catchphrase? Because it sucks. It does suck. Because it's like, that's your name. I'd be like, yell, John! Well, that's your name, man. Like, I guess they didn't really factor in that it wasn't oh, a good Lord, catchphrase. We heard you the first time. <laughs> <sighs> they were, sorry, I, I remember, I did not like the beginning of this story. If we were in person, I would have to carry golf clubs with us to every recording so I could reach in and pull out the wedge and just hand it to Aldo for these these puns that he tries to make. Just good gracious. Is there only once? No, that was the question. Were they good? No, they're not. I know. I know the answer. It's fine. <laughs> it's more the enjoyment that you get out of it that bothers me. I did a little dance. I'm not going to lie. Steven, save us with analysis. Literary analysis. So, oh, no literary analysis right now. This is this is me nitpicking. The more I read this story, the more I enjoyed it. But at the beginning, I started making a catalog of things that didn't make any sense to me. Oh, okay, good. Like, Jubilee brings coffee and a muffin out to Bishop, who's watching guard. And Bishop says, not while I'm on duty, Jubilation. And it's like, wait, you don't want the coffee while you're keeping watch? Why? I just thought he was watching his carbs. 
So weird. <laughs> Guido does put a lot of Jack Daniels in his drink later, but I forget who he shares that with. Quicksilver takes down Pestilence, and as he does so, he says that his metabolism is moving so fast that her touch doesn't affect him. And it's like, shouldn't that make it worse? Yeah, that should make it worse, shouldn't it? That should make it worse. Also, isn't it with uh, Famine? The Colossus defeats Famine, and it's because... When he's in his metal form, he doesn't require food or anything. So, at some point, her effect, that. Her effect yeah. affects her or something. Yeah, like there's this. nothing else yeah. to feed off of, so it had to attack her. That seems like a bad power to have. Like, it can come back on you. Like, Cyclops isn't hurt by his own blasts. I'm still mad at You don't remember the point where Strife force-fed Scott Summers and Jean Grey baby food? Oh, yeah, that was weird, right? Yeah, that was you really see, weird. He, like, shoved his hands down his, down his mouth. He was like, this is what babies do. Blah. And then he just, like, runs out of there and he's like, <laughs> I had no parents. <laughs> and he runs away. But then, like, that <laughs> is, is underscored by the clomp, 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 clomp of his big metal boots. I thought this was still, like, okay. But it was. It, the payoff at the end, like, just made me upset. It was like, that's it? Like, we could have, like, there's there's been all these meaningless infighting between X-Force and X-Factor, and I do not care. You know? Possibly the most emblematic point of the whole story uh, for me is Wolverine and Bishop are fighting Cable. And the fight is just, you know, wild. The, the, nobody's got the upper hand. Wolverine is lunging at Cable. And then the professor chimes in and says, hey, uh, you know, you might actually get along better if you all start working together. And Cable says, oh, yeah, that's right. We're all superheroes. Hey, superheroes, why are we fighting each other? And then they say, oh, yeah. And they team up. Yeah, yeah. That is such a 90s comic thing. Like, I remember, so when I was a kid, and we're talking, like, whenever this came out, so somewhere in the range of six to eight, I remember writing superhero comics myself. And I remember writing a comic where two characters that I made up were fighting each other, and they were just fighting each other. And then at the end of the story, one of them says, hey, why are we fighting each other? And then they became boyfriend-girlfriend. There you go. <laughs> As, like, weird 90s as it is, I, I like Strife's look. I think he has a cool helmet. I think you'd be right if you said that it looked like, I don't know, like, if you turned a fan on its side or something. Like, if you took a random bit of machinery from a factory and, like, cut eye holes in it. Okay, fine, sure, sure. I still, I like his whole look. Capes, I know that, like, since Incredibles came out, people crap on capes, and rightly so, because it is hazardous, and they're just, you know, I still like capes. I think I still think capes are cool. He looks like the Silver Samurai, and I that I forgot who Strife was or looked like, so when he showed up, I was like, is that the Silver Samurai? Why is he here? <laughs> no, I'm bummed out. <laughs> Because he does, he does kind of look like Silver Samurai. A little bit. Like, they look like each other. I mean, it's just like a whole mess of, like, platinum white armor. Like, yeah, yeah. it's a little hard to differentiate that. I will say, though, that under, like, Jay Lee's art, and, and I know you keep talking about, like, Capullo, and I feel sad because this isn't the Capullo art I know, and it doesn't feel like the Capullo that would, like, really this bloom. This is very early and, Capullo art, so. Yeah, this is, like, fresh off the, I'm gonna pretend to be Todd McFarlane, because Todd McFarlane can't keep up with all these books that Todd McFarlane keeps coming out. That's literally what how he got his start in job. Look, he did, he moved to Spawn after Marvel, and, like, that's literally, like, yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so, like, his art in here does not stand out to me. Like, and I feel bad, because everybody's art is really solid, but, like, the work that Jay Lee was doing here... I think stands out 
over all the other artists. Not because it's better, just because I think he's doing a little bit more creative panel work. I am so surprised. I thought y'all were not going to like the art that Jay Lee put forth here. I was all prepared to say, hey, Jay Lee's really good, actually. And you're like, no, you all liked it. He has. Okay, so that's the thing that stood out the most. We, we've talked about like his, his character models, the exaggerated faces, the silhouettes. It's the panel work that he does. He does some really good panel work here, and it does, and it feels like flawless. And and I don't know how else to explain that, but it just looks like really like like there's no effort put into it because it just comes that naturally to him. It's very innovative. Yeah, but uh, but I was gonna say that under his like silhouettes and like exaggerated shadows, Strife looks really good at points, like really good, like not just like a mess of white armor, like it looks and. He looks like uh, I don't know, like a like a really intimidating shredder that's had all the color bled out of him. Yeah, I don't like it when he takes off the helmet. I don't like any time he's doing anything not stylized or in silhouette or whatever. It, then then it like is distracting when it's like you know like this panel where they're like okay, Storm is like Storm and uh, Sam are like picking their te- or Havoc they're picking their teams and everything like that. Like those are cool little shots, you know. Storm always looks great, but. Like, when Strife takes off his helmet, then it, like, the face is all, like, wrinkled and, like, changed my honor. I don't know. Look at me, I order you. It's all, like, you know, in shadow, and he's crying, and he's got this, like, his hackles raised, and he looks weird. Strife is over-designed. He, like... Oh, absolutely. I do not... I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And it only gets worse when he puts, like, when he covers his hands in baby food and shoves his fingers in Cyclops' mouth. It, it just gets worse. Strife is such a... I don't... No, if this is what every version of Strife is like, because I, I feel like Messiah War wasn't this, but this Strife is like, I think he's supposed to be, whoa, he's crazy and he's creepy, woo, and it's just like, no, he's he's creepy and he's gross. Yeah. It makes me think of that scene from, from like, The Visit where the old man slaps the kid in the face with his diaper. It's like, I know what you're going for, but you didn't get it. You just got gross. It wasn't jarring so much as just gross. I only read the the uh, the uh, synopsis of that movie and like having the adult diapers featured like multiple times was like ew, ew. yeah. The 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 theme of that movie is old people are scary and isn't the fact that old people are gross sometimes scary. I I I hated that movie so much. Ugh. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about strife being creepy and gross. He is. Yeah, he's a terrible... I think he's a terrible villain. The stuff with Apocalypse I thought was a little bit more interesting. But to me, Apocalypse kind of works like Darkseid in the sense that... Yeah, he can throw down. He can get in fistfights. But he works better as the mastermind. Like, I like seeing him behind the scenes rather than on the front lines. And this one, he's like vulnerable and he's, you know, he's hurt. And so he's, you know, he still can throw down and still is able to like fight his way out of tough scrapes. But like... You know, he gets stabbed, he almost gets killed, and so he has to, like, talk his way out. And so, you know, you never see the X-Men team up with Apocalypse. He's, like, the baddest of the bad. But, like, in this, you know, literally the only person who can help them. So it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. I, like, they made some choices with, with Apocalypse. Um, good or bad, the the fact that they did something different with the character, like, I think it's fine. Um, I think the role he serves in the story is fine. I don't love that he basically gets warped to show off how cool Strife is. But, you know, it's it's it works for the plot that they've got. And again, as the, the longer the story went on, the more I liked it. 
there's some great like comedic moments where you know they're on like Wolverine smoking on the on Cable's ship and it shoots a fire extinguisher in his face. Love that. Thought that was hilarious. There are some great moments where like Cable shows some weird sense of humility and uh, like makes jokes at his own expense that I think were fun and humanizing. Just yeah, overall, not the worst story. I don't know that I ever want to read it again because this was work. <laughs> I feel like I want to find some of the things that this sets up or better versions of like strife and cable fighting or different aspects of these teams teaming up, you know. I don't mind multiple man. I think that's you know, there are interesting things that can be done that uh weren't really done here. Just X Factor, X Four like they're just Multiple Man doesn't do anything for me right now. The other day I was on Instagram and there are a lot of Instagram accounts that just post random scenes from different comics. And one of these accounts posted a sequence where Multiple Man and Siren have a baby, and the first time Multiple Man go, goes to hold the baby, he winds up absorbing the baby into his body because apparently his mutation registered the baby as one of his, like, duplicates. Oh, gosh. It's so gross. and so And, disturbing. like, awful. And, ugh. See, because I was interested in X-Factor. That was part of the X-Factor Investigations run, which I thought sounded really interesting because it's superhero comics but also detective story. But then it has, you know, man absorbing his baby. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a dad, but I'm pretty sure that freaked me out the first time I heard about it. And it's just awful. So no, multiple man is fine. I will leave that there. That sounds like Batman with more steps. So I really liked this. Okay, I'm not going to say I really liked the story. I ended up enjoying the story. Yeah. I I think it was about the halfway point, though. Because here's the problem I had, right? This is 12 issues. We have... So many teams, so many people, so many agendas, so many, like, random plots that are kind of picked up and dropped off and so forth and so forth, right? And I think my biggest problem is it it was really hard to attach myself to anybody in the beginning because nobody really seems to have a clear thing happening. And I, I think what this book was missing was a protagonist. Huh. I think you're right. Just one person to kind of guide the whole thing. Thing. because you know it starts out with with xavier getting shot it starts out with the uh, gene gray and and cyclops getting kidnapped and then like we also have the stuff with uh and then we also have the stuff with archangel happening and like there's a lot of stuff going on i don't even remember why multiple men was like relevant at all in the book i don't remember why he was there just that he was. So it's like 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 a lot of things, right? Jubilee has like a, a you know she's there for a while, doesn't really do anything apart from offer Bishop some coffee, I guess. And go rollerblading with Professor X and shove him in the pool. Yeah, exactly. That bit was actually really great. But yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, so there's like a lot of stuff going on, and and if you hadn't been following the stories leading up to this, right? You hadn't been already attached to a book. It's really hard to get attached to anything that really kind of guides you through the through the thing right because there's a lot of threads i think the sinister stuff is kind of some of the stuff that kind of threw me for a loop right because it, it's kind of building up like there's this weird i guess triangular battle that feels like it's a triangular battle between like strife apocalypse and mr sinister and that's always their relationship in all of the comics that i've read like they're all kind of after the same thing yeah you know like mutant supremacy but they all hate each other but they all kind of are 
doing the same thing and sometimes teaming up. Like, Sinister was Apocalypse's right-hand man in Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, but yeah, but in this book, like, that kind of feels like... And then, then Mr. Sinister just... Or Sinister just kind of drops off. Like, halfway... Or not even halfway, like, a third, way, a third of the way into the series. He just drops off and disappears. And then we get him back again at the end when we when you know when they open up the little capsule and it's empty or you know seemingly empty obviously has right so that was that was my problem and and we eventually get a villain in strife but in the beginning of the book it doesn't feel like we really have a protagonist or a villain it doesn't feel like there is a goal here like just just like a bunch of random stories that sometimes connect and sometimes don't until they do and I think that was that was my biggest problem as like a new reader coming into this because like I I'm fine with like all these books with all these teams that I don't know and I don't understand because I can look them up. It's Wikipedia. This is a different time and age, right? I just think that just we just needed a through line through this whole thing. That's yeah. I don't think you're wrong about that at all. Like I, I think this kind of is a holdover from the days when uh like the X Men the big X Men event was more of, like, a vibe or a theme than a coherent story. Like, I, I'm thinking about, I think it was Fall of the Mutants. It, it was marketed as a big event, but it actually involved the different X teams doing completely different stuff. I, I think the Mutant Massacre did very similar. Like, there were teams that just, like, crossed in the night. They didn't actually meet each other at all, even though they were kind of involved in the same events. So frequently, I feel like these these events were really more of a of a vibe than a story. And here they were trying to make it a story, but it, it lacked the the cohesion to really bring it all together. And where I think it starts getting good is when Cable shows up again, and now Cable kind of serves as a protagonist. Because I don't think at any point anybody believes that Cable actually did it. So the whole murder mystery aspect, which I think is what's supposed to be the hook, isn't actually pulling us through. Because we're just waiting for the point when the twist comes in. Because we know there's going to be a twist. You know what moment surprisingly, like, did something for me? It was when Strife is forcing Cyclops and Jean to either kill all of his minions or kill the baby. And Cyclops and Jean, instead of playing along, decide that they're going to fight to defend the baby. And it's such a little moment, but when I read that, I was like, oh, hey, it's superheroes doing a superhero thing. Yeah. There are impossible odds. Let's save this baby. I'm like, heck yeah, you saved that baby. I And I think that's kind of the saving grace of this book. And, you know, when we, as we've talked about the best parts of this book, it's a lot of the little moments. Because I think as a big picture, this book struggles to like stay together but yeah a lot of the little moments are really kind of what what build this book up right like and i think i would agree yeah i think the individual moments in the book are really good right the whole idea of cable being the one that shoots xavier at this concert that's that feels like bigger it's a small moment in the very beginning of the, of the book it's these little moments in between and if we didn't have it if we didn't have as many of those as we had i i think this book i, I actually would not have liked this book I like it. It's fine. It's It just struggles quite a bit. <laughs> this is something, like, I, I we use the word homework a lot when describing certain stories. I think this one is homework, um, in that you want to read it so that you can follow the grand opera that is the X-Men saga. 
but House of X, Powers of X. I'm going to go back and reread that, right? Yes. For enjoyment, because I enjoyed it. I wouldn't reread this. I'm glad that I read it. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't as bad as we were moaning about at the beginning, um, I don't think. But no, no, not revisiting it. Not, no, never. Nothing in it is worth revisiting to me other than, like, I would reread the Wikipedia page if I forgot some details, probably. Yeah. <laughs> now we know, and I I hope that this informs, you know, other, other X-Men. Because you know what? If I have to keep reading Marvel Zombies and, uh, you know, <laughs> Mary Jane loves Peter Parker, Mary Jane loves Spider-Man, um, Stephen and Aldo love anime, or Stephen and Aldo love manga and are secretly teenagers, then uh, I'm going to keep suggesting uh, X-Men crossovers. And sometimes we'll get House of X and Powers of X, and hooray! And sometimes we'll get uh, Messiah Complex and Second Coming, hooray! But sometimes we're going to get Executioner's Song. <sighs> really looking forward to when we decide to try to tackle Age of Apocalypse. But that is not next oh, time. Oh, that's a mess. <laughs> I, I want to I wanna tackle... Uh... Oh what! Oh no! I hate! I hate it! I forgot. Um, the first issue of this uh, executioner song it came out, I believe, twenty nine years ago today. I think the first issue what? said it may have been, might have been no. It is. Uh, today's the ninth. Yeah. We're recording this on November ninth. On the on the executioner song event like reading list, it says November ninth, nineteen ninety two. But then it says published November tenth, nineteen ninety two. Okay, well today or tomorrow. It was actually, I remember the first day of school that I had at a new school. Yeah, because we moved in November. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah, that came out uh, 29 years ago, today or tomorrow. So. Okay. Are we ready to rank this? Yeah, I'm a little afraid to see where it's going to go, but yeah. Me too? Well, curious more than afraid. Currently, we have 168 stories on our list. I believe the highest ranking X story is uh, Dawn of X Prelude, which would be House of X and Powers of X, which is currently at number 12. Lowest ranking X-Men story... If we count Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk, because Wolverine's in it. Nope. Oh, it's X-Men Noir. Noir. Yeah. X-Men Noir, yeah. Why was that so low? Probably racism, right? Yeah, there's there's a line... Somewhere where like one forty six is a is a like the racist line, <laughs> and then but then there's also like you know the standalone Wolverine series from the eighties that it's like oh it's like manages to be good with some racist bits versus you know what I you can't can't stomach that Ugh. so yeah um to put up a little warning like below this line there be racism here there be bigots. Uh, that's, that's harsh. That's probably a little harsh. They did, they are, the people who created these books are not bigots. They just did a bigotry. That's not the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like, yeah, that's fair. I just am distracted by bigots sounds like a name for barnacles that pirates would use. Like, it's like, hey, barnacles and bigots on my hull. I was thinking of Inferno. That's what I could put my finger on. Oh, heck, dude, Inferno. Sorry, I liked Inferno. I read Inferno. The thing about Inferno is it's kind of the same thing where there are, like, multiple different stories that don't really, like, intercept until they do. Some of those stories are really good, and some of them are kind of whatever. So, I like, Inferno is one that I kind of think we need to tackle in, like, two different episodes where one week we read, like, the Excalibur and the New Mutants portion, and then another week we we read the X-Men and the X-Factor portion. Um... 
because they're they're almost two separate stories. Freaking heck yeah! I want to read ex- I want to read Inferno so bad. All I'm seeing here in the in the Wikipedia article is uh, to avoid losing track of characters and plot threads. Editor Bob Harris maintained roughly twenty pages of timelines for how each character would develop over the course of Inferno. Wow. Yeah. The freaking the New Mutant stuff in Inferno is so good. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so where do we want to rank Executioner's song? I've been looking, and I I keep seeing ones that I didn't like as much as you guys, so it goes a little higher, goes a little higher, goes a little higher. I don't know. It's like House of M, I think, is a tighter story, but I didn't really care yeah. for House of M very much. As much as like you think that you should, given what it is, and, and like you know what happens as a result of it and everything, it's an important story, but at the same time, it's like, eh, uh, you know... Yeah, I, I think House of M is definitely higher. I, I mentioned Fatal Attractions in the middle of the podcast, which is at number 117. I kind of think that's the area for it. I would, personally, I liked Fatal Attractions more, but a lot of that is nostalgia for me because I had Fatal Attractions when I was a kid, so I'm not married to it going beneath Fatal Attractions. I would put it at 120, personally. That's where I'm going to say it goes. Oh, wow. Are we that low? Probably. I do, I do think it's, again, not a horrible story, but... I would put it up at least above Old Man... Oh, not, not Old Man Logan. Uh, Demon in a Bottle. I'm somewhere around there. I've, oh, that's right. Old Man Logan was kind of grody sometimes. Never mind. I, I think I think I have a... Yeah, that's kind of where I'm struggling because I'm, I'm in that area, like 100, 100 something. Like, part of, part of me initially, like, my gut reaction was to put it up like around the 80s or so but then i was seeing what we actually have in the 80s and it's like it's not bad company and it's not like that bad but like it's it that good <laughs> i think part of the problem with this book is it's really hard to summarize in like a sentence right like it's really hard to do like a like a log line for it because the pitch or like you know what, what they're trying to get you with right is the whole you know uh cable's origin or, or whatever right but we don't get that. So we're actually doing a log line for what actually happens to the book is that Strife kills Professor X. Strife impersonates Cable and attempts to assassinate Professor X and somehow it doesn't really matter. I think just in terms of X-Men books, I would put this above Demon Bear. But considering the rest of the company, it's like, I think I kind of, I think I would prefer to like read Cage over this. I don't know. I think my highest would be 90, all things considered. Um, and, like, what what I would read again, you know? I mean, if I get outvoted, I get outvoted. But, I mean, I just go back to House of M is better. Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I don't love House of M. I would rather read House of M again. I would also rather read The Search for Eternity. If we're talking about, like, older books, too. I'd rather read... Uh, Honestly, I'd rather read that Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. No, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, like, it's fine, but it's I don't need to read it again. Like, the characters were not that memorable. It was like a total little story. It added a little, a slightly bit more to this beloved ride or whatever. But I, you know, I would go back and read The Search for Eternity again. But I, I don't care about Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. I, you know, I'm okay with putting that at 100. I think that's a good compromise, honestly. I feel better about that than I do about... Yeah, let's do 100. Cool. Because there's like how many people worked on this book. Um, okay, so for next time, we've got two stories that we're going to be reading. 
Uh, first, we're going to take a trip back to the 80s with a with a look at Anne Nocenti's run on Daredevil. We're going to read issues 254 through 260 of Daredevil, which is the story where Typhoid Mary is introduced. And then we're going to take our first tentative steps into a Spider-Man story arc that I have been fascinated by and I've never read. <gasps> You've so never read it? I'm... I've never read it. We're going to read the first six issues of Superior Spider-Man. I can't... Wait, you really have never read it? I have never read it. Hold on. Quick quick note. The official trade uh, collects the first five issues. So I don't know if we want to do first five or first six. Oh, yeah. So issue six is a is an Age of Ultron tie-in. Um, issue five looks like it ends the story arc. Yeah, so we're going to read the first five issues of The Superior Spider-Man by Danifer Slotovy. <laughs> Danigar Slotovy. You know, Danifer Slotovy. I I I hate what you're saying. I hate what you're doing. <laughs> I thought you were doing a, a Black Agar Boltigan thing, but I don't think you were. Danigar Slotigan? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to do, but it scares me. <laughs> 